Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Kander, and this is Majority 54, and we are going to break down uh, the final, hopefully, time that we have to watch President Trump uh, scream at all of us in a, in a very... A, very august setting. Uh, also, and this is the show for people to be able to talk to all their relatives and bring them around, and you have uh, 11 days left to do that. So, uh, I didn't watch it. How about y'all? No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, Robbie, we should tell these people that Grace has joined us. Yes, uh, Grace Lynch is with us, who's uh, both the producer of the show, a member of the Wonder Media team, and uh, the producer and host of Winning Wisconsin, uh, a wonderful podcast from Wonder Media that you can get wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, she she puts up with us so well and like edits us and makes us sound so good. And now she's here with us. It's, I'm actually pretty excited. Welcome, Grace, to the thing you're usually here for. But welcome, you know, officially. Well, thank you. I, I'm looking forward to um, pushing you guys around on the microphone this time as opposed to just <laughs> behind the scenes. Uh, absolutely. All right, Ravi, you usually walk us through these things. Let's do your your usual order. Well, I'm actually normally the negative Nancy on these. And so I want to actually play a different part this because I truly believe it. I've never felt better about this race after tonight uh, for a few reasons. Uh, one was that uh, Trump needed a knockout blow, uh, and I think he lost on points. So I think he he not only got the big night he needed, but uh, I think Biden actually uh, improved his standing in this debate. I also think that uh, I, I have been pretty uh, disciplined about not looking at other takes here, but I can imagine anybody saying anything positive about Trump's performance is pretty much grading from the low expectation of, of him cutting people off. Uh, and what I saw was a overreaction in the other direction where he seemed pretty weak to me. Uh, and what I saw from Biden um, was somebody who was fluid, charming, strong, unflappable. Uh, I thought that he his plans were clear and bulleted. I thought he spoke from a moral foundation. I thought he countered attacks, especially in the first half of the debate, with offense. I thought in the second half of the debate, he... He got a little bit more defensive, uh, but but in the critical, we talk about the Ron Klain test, which we'll get to. I thought in the beginning of the debate, especially, he was he was right on message and and continually pushing uh, Trump on the offense. Uh, and I thought he had these lines about being uniting uh, that I think are the ones that are going to break through the most in this election. Where he says, "I'm running as a Democrat 
but I'm here to unite all people. Um, I have so much more to say about this, but that's what my high level takeaway is that this is the best I've ever seen Biden. I could not believe what I was seeing from him. And it makes me really excited for him as president. Yeah. When you texted us and you were like, this is great. I was like, oh, it's going to be a different uh, take from Ravi. All right, Grace, what about you? So not to just fill in as Ravi's contrarian um, or to just tack in the other direction. I agree with everything you said about Biden in particular. I think he came out incredibly strong. I thought he was so clear, particularly at the beginning, drew such a great contrast from Trump from the get go. Was the most prepared I'd ever seen him, was the quickest on his feet I'd ever seen him, particularly in responses. He nailed some comebacks for Trump's claims on COVID that I have been dying to hear someone finally slap him with. So that was so satisfying and did it in a way that was, to your point, totally grounded in a moral authority and clarity. And I think he always tacked to a unity point when it it hit the hardest. And I was time and time again impressed by it. I do think that some Republicans came home today for Trump because he, yes, still manages to say a lot of mm, incoherent sentences or incomplete thoughts. But I do think that that change in tone is what a lot of Republicans want to see because it gives them cover. It gives them cover to say, like, he's not always the bombastic guy on Twitter. He is just defending his point of view. He is just communicating his truths. And I do think that Trump was able to do that less well at the beginning. I do think that he came off rather whiny at the start and throughout took on a very whiny tone, which I don't think is compelling to anybody. But in the middle and the latter half, I think that he gained a lot of strength and certainty and was holding ground without being too much of a bully. And I do think that a lot of people are going to respond to that positively who may have been looking for cover prior. Yeah. Look, I think that, and I've, I've always thought this, that those Republicans were going to come home and it was just a matter of Trump not doing the absurd, weird act that he did in the first debate. Right. Um, and so it really, to me, makes me feel like, boy, he, he really missed an opportunity in the first debate to not be just completely ridiculous, right? Um, but I I felt like, I mean, we're, we basically, we start with the first 30 minutes, right? And Ravi, you've trained me. I, I looked at the clock this time and I thought about what the first 30 minutes were. And I felt like starting with the first 10 to 15 minutes, it was Biden saying, uh, you know, you're not in control of this situation. And Trump saying, it's not my fault. And I felt like, that was not going to win probably anybody back. Um, I do feel like the last, I, I agree with you, Grace, like the last hour he, he started, the last hour is when he just went straight in, when Trump just went straight into like basic, you know, Republican economic stuff. Like this is going to cost more. This is going to cost more, that kind of thing. And I do think if, you know, they stuck with the debate, he may win some people back. But I actually think the first 30 minutes, which is about when Ravi texted us and was like, Biden is awesome here. Uh, I think I thought that was very one-sided for Biden. And and I, I sort of marked it as the first 30 minutes were an argument between reopening the country no matter what and being conservative and cautious. And and the thing is, is the vast majority of the country thinks we should be conservative and cautious. And so one of them, Biden, was with people on that. And, and the fact that that ended with a, a, one of those comebacks by Biden with that punctuation on the entire 
first 30 minutes, that first segment was, was Biden saying, Americans don't panic, he panicked. And I just thought that was, that's one of the strongest things I've ever seen in a presidential debate because he was pissed. And he even got Trump to say at one point where he's like, I do take responsibility, but it's not my fault that it came here. It's yeah. same sentence. And I was like, mm -hmm. that's wild that like he ha he deflects to the point where he's finally saying, oh, no, no, I'm responsible, but this isn't my fault. And that I thought was incredible. at his core. Trump is a people pleaser. That's the thing. That's why all the bluster about I'm going to be so tough in a meeting with this person or that person at his core. Trump cannot have. He cannot stand to have people not like him when he's physically in their presence. And 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 Biden really capitalized on that in, in this debate. Yeah, I think, you know, focusing on those first 30 minutes, I was jumping out of my seat. I I, I was I honestly could not believe I've watched so many Biden debates and I, and I love Joe Biden. But there are certain things that he has done in, in debates in the past where he kind of half finishes an answer or his 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 words uh, kind of come together and he make, he mixes up talking points and gets facts wrong. None of that was true here. Uh, you know, I was thinking to myself, like, you know, did he down his spinach, eat his Wheaties, drink his athletic greens? I don't know what it was this morning, but he was uh, absolutely stellar. Uh, com and not even just compared to where he was. I thought it was one of the better debate performances I've seen from a Democrat in a national presidential uh, debate. And, and Jason, you were talking about some of these lines. I kind of made a running list because I do think lines matter, right? I think it, it matters more for you to be sincere and to speak from a moral foundation, which I think he absolutely did. Uh, but these lines were awesome. Like you're, I think you're xenophobic, but not because of China. Um, 525 parents when we got to that one, I thought it was oh, absolutely crushed it. Uh, Easter and summer, when he talked about like the Easter promise, the summer promise, it's going to be a dark winter. Uh, we're learning to die with it. I mean, I can go on, but these were just some lines. And it's really important because these are going to show up on, on, on cable news. They're going to show up all over the place. Uh, they were just one after another. Excellent. I, I thought one of the best points that he had there about the Easter promise was when Trump was talking about the vaccine. And he said, my timeline's more accurate. And the moderator, who I, I would love to talk about as well, was like, what makes you think that? And Biden came in and said, he, this is the guy who said it was going to be over by Easter. Why are we going to trust his timeline on the vaccine? And to tie those two things together, I thought was such a deft move because it just helped paint the picture of like, oh, right, he's an unreliable narrator for this virus. And like in this point, and that applies, he's doing the exact same thing again. Yeah, props to her for following up on that because she clearly had... Uh... Well, she clearly had an entire set of questions, which she read. I mean, she had a script and, you know, she had the discipline to be like, well, wait a minute, that seems newsworthy. I'm going to go ahead and make him, you know, and then Trump had to backpedal on it. I mean, it could be weeks. I mean, you know, end of the year, there are weeks between now and the end of the year. I mean, uh, and and also props to Biden on that sort of an old trial trick. Uh, he didn't then jump in and be like, no, no, no. See what he just did there. He let it lay so that he can make that argument in the coming days, right? Don't give Trump an opportunity to come in and clean that up. Let it let it just lay there. And uh, and that takes a lot of discipline too. I yeah, and Grace, on your point about Trump giving certain Republicans what they wanted, I thought Trump's best moment in the first 30 minutes was when he was talking about the costs of restrictions. Now, I think in the context, the COVID restrictions, like I think in the context, he didn't come across great in the COVID section. But I think when he talks about the, the depression 
and like the 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 loss of of shutdowns etc like there is a definite definite base of people who uh got riled up by that and i think that's his best ground i didn't think he had an, he had enough of those moments but i thought that was powerful yeah, I think I was thrown by his uh, when Biden was talking about constructive plans that could be put in place so that restaurants could open safely. And and, Biden, and, and uh, Trump went on some sort of a tirade about Manhattanites eating in plastic cubes. And I was like, oh, he has no idea what the plexiglass situation in restaurants is. It is not you're in a little box. <laughs> well, he clearly thought that Biden was saying we'll mandate businesses pay for this without any support. And and I do think Biden could have been a little more clear coming back and being like, no, the difference between me and you is I want to pass a bill to help them. And and he did. It took him uh, about 30 seconds. Yeah, but he got there. But um, but that, but, you know, I guess in Biden's defense, like the idea that that had to be explained is kind of hard to get your head around. <laughs> you know? But and then Ravi, though, to your point, I. I, I agree with what you said, because there are so many costs to shutdowns, but I thought Biden had a really smart move bringing it home to schools in particular, which I think is such a everyday people are home with their kids. They are living with the reality of this virus sticking point. And he said, you're right, like the he, essentially in a in a mocking tone, like the costs are worth it. You know, only some of you teachers will die. And then he went, come on. You know, and it paints the picture of how insane that argument is immediately. I thought that was great. So what can we take from the first 30 minutes that like where folks could use that? I mean, what's the clip that people send to their relatives? What's the clip they should put on Facebook? You know? Yeah, I thought it was uh, people aren't living with it. They're dying with it was extremely strong. Uh, I thought it's going to be a dark winner. And the the honesty of Biden versus the bullshit from Trump, just the contrast and how Biden, I, th I think, laid out a very strong uh, case very quickly that Trump is full of shit and then said, hey, I'm going to be real with you that this is going to be dark and it's not going to be great. Uh, I think the, the contrast between his honesty and Trump's like obvious bullshit is was apparent to any uh, almost anybody who's swingable in this race watching that. I felt his comment um, when Trump was discussing why he hadn't backed one of the bills because it was just a bailout to all these poorly run Democratic cities. And Biden's response was, well, I'm not going to be a president for a red city, your blue cities. I'm a president for America and that I wouldn't dismiss a bill because it helps blue cities over red city or vice versa, I thought was such a, a smart tack on his point. And to me, that would be the compelling clip to send. Yeah, no, I agree. I thought that was that was really strong because there were so there were instinctually there were plenty of ways to go with that that were just defensive, and he just saw the opening and was like, "No, I'm going right back to my central campaign theme." Um, go ahead, Ravi. So yeah, well, well, to the thirty minute point, um, I forget what the 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 number is twenty four hours or something when somebody goes missing is like the critical amount. We we think about thirty minutes. I have it so ingrained that I wrote down. At the thirty-minute mark, what, what was what was happening? And it, it was actually at twenty-six minutes when Trump started getting really weird. Uh, yeah, he he made it. I I wrote down. I wrote down, Ravi. I wrote down on this piece of paper. Trump stayed calm for twenty-five minutes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it was around the money stuff. I uh -huh. he goes. I would blow I would blow away records, and I would if I could yada yada yada. And there's just it. This is where you have to. I've learned from three debates now that this is. This is not debate club. It's not about making 10 good points. It's about making one good point. And uh, the discipline of Biden, and this is where he was very crisp. 
he was just like my average contribution is forty three dollars. Where Trump yeah. sounded like a lunatic uh, and a brag. He was bragging, uh, and he just started to get a little uncorked at that point. And I think this little middle part was Trump at his worst. And I think Trump roared back uh, around the two thirds mark, as I saw it. But he really got weird, I thought, in the middle. Right at the, I wrote down that right at the 30-minute mark is when Trump brought up the fact that he only paid $750 in taxes. And then Trump said it three more times. He sounded uh, so full of shit on taxes. I have to say that was – it was – like he was i kept saying i'm like i'm i'm gonna any day now it was so bad diana laughed out loud really hard when he said the audit thing uh but by the way like huge missed opportunity for trump what's trump been saying for three weeks he's going to raise your taxes the second taxes come up in that which by the way his dumb ass brought up but the second that his own taxes come up how is it that he waits another what hour and 28 minutes to bring up that he's his argument that Biden is going to raise taxes. I he did not make the argument that Biden was going to raise taxes until there was two minutes left in this. By the way, most most potent attack from where I sit, I get tons of texts from buddies in Staten Island, and like you know, most of whom are not in the tax bracket. No offense to my friends who are listening, but none of whom are in the tax <laughs> bracket that's going to be affected by this, but are aspirational, and I love that about them. Uh, but who <laughs> are worried safe. about right? Who are worried about the, the Biden tax cut? I mean, tax raise as they see it uh, in 400k plus. Well, what's what's that old line from West Wing? Is that the problem with with uh, having a a responsible tax code in America is you can't get there because everybody's convinced they're eventually going to be a billionaire? I mean, yeah. Uh, anyway, well, all right. So, but, Grace, but the, go ahead. the play, no, the play to the billionaire stuff I found so bizarre because Trump then went on a bit of a rant about you know how Biden has all these houses and he lives so lucratively, and I was like, your whole thing is that you're successful and that you have this lavish wealth like i don't like i don't know if that lands to try to throw that on biden like that just felt like such an odd move to be like he's rich too (laughs) well i think a big strategy of this debate was trying to get people and it's just like the last debate it's trying to get people to go they're both bad it's trying to get people to just turn the channel on the whole thing and and do what you talked about at the beginning of this grace which is i think they both suck so i'm just going to do what i usually do and vote republican that's that's the whole idea i think yeah i think yeah and i think on that front biden i don't think trump's negatives went up in this one because i think there you wouldn't have seen anything unique about his negatives in in this but I think Biden's positives definitely went up. I think one thing that that I didn't mention in the beginning was that his body language, like in the last debate, uh, in his last debate, I, I I was a little hard on him about looking down a lot. Uh, he was smiling. He was making good faces, I thought. And it was like when you only see two people, he sometimes often didn't have to say something uh, in order to get the right point across. And you could tell he, he did a lot of work on that because the last time he was looking timid, he was looking down. Uh, and he, he looked almost afraid, uh, or at least one could have construed that. I don't think he actually was. I think he was just frustrated, but, um, yeah, he was trying to do the old debate trick that they teach you of when you're, when the other side is saying ridiculous stuff, that's making you mad, just look down. So you don't let on that you look mad. And this time he just looked, he was like, when he's acting crazy, I'm just going to look at him like, dude, that don't make any sense. And I think that was effective. Yeah. Yeah. And well, one other piece on this middle part about the taxes, um, it's important to mention that Biden also deployed it as a counter. So uh, Trump was trying to get Biden to, uh, like, there was just this barrage of all sorts of barisma and all sorts of crap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and there was this moment when Biden said something like, just release your uh, 
tax returns to stop talking about corruption. Um, and then that's when Trump said, as soon as I can. And I think it just looked like an S. Yeah, I mean, that was quite something. Um, it It's also, so then I wrote down at 842, because I knew this would happen sometime in the debate. And, and at 842 is when Biden looked at the camera and said, it's not about his family and mine, it's about yours. He doesn't want to talk about the issues. Uh, and then, you know, the only thing Trump had left was to make fun of it and to say like, oh, look, he's like a politician. He's talking about people around the table, which I would knock him for, but I... I just don't think he had anything else to say to that because it is it it was based in fact it was a totally a realistic and good point and and Trump had to go back into the old into the old toolbox of I'm not a politician. Yeah. But I do think him saying I'm not a politician and reinforcing that fact does work for him. Like I do mm-hmm. think that that was a huge part of his appeal was that he was seen as almost apolitical that his beliefs didn't really align with a party, he didn't come from politics. And so I think it's he has an uphill battle with that image, having been the chief executive for four years. And so to to exactly so to find moments where he can say, look, I'm not that politician or I see that you're doing a political thing, but I would never do that because I'm not a politician. I do think works for him. I don't know if it gains him any voters, but I do think that it's a point that people look to from him. And I think that is him delivering on kind of his highest offering, which is that he's not a part of the system. Well, so it's speak. funny because uh, I agree with you. I think it's one of his most effective moves. It's just that uh, the there's a ceiling on that effectiveness that wasn't there before, right? Because I mean, he is the president. He does a lot of political things. And I, I still find it so strange that a guy who sells himself as I'm not part of the swamp, I'm not one of these Washington guys, drops all these jargon terms, you know, like AOC plus three, like, I think I I think I know who the other three are like, but and like I pay pretty close attention to politics. Yeah, I had never um, heard that before. To, to no, be it's like did the squad go out of style or does his like did his consultants tell him that wasn't cool or? I, I think don't know. it's just you know it must be what they it call Twitter. it on Fox News. Although I would have thought the squad was their preferred term. I can see where you go AOC plus three because you want to center AOC because you've made her the most polarizing person. But my point is like there were. If undecided, if you are an undecided voter with 12 days to go before the election, you do not know who Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is, and you certainly don't know her initials. Because if you are undecided, if you're that guy with the red sweater, what's his name? Ken Bone. If you're that guy, like, dude, you're watching reruns of Seinfeld. You're not watching MSNBC or Fox or whatever. You know, you're just not doing that. And so I don't know who he's talking to with that, except for people who have already, anyway. Jason, doing these pods with you is perhaps my favorite thing to do every week, but I got to be honest, I'm, I can't wait to get this thing over. You want to know why? Why is that? Because I can't wait to get back to my Helix mattress. I get it. I want to get back to that Midnight Lux, the Midnight Lux that both of us ended up with because of the quiz. Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. They have several different mattress models to choose from to perfectly match your unique body and sleeping preferences. So if you sleep hot or cold, if you like a softer or firmer mattress, Helix has you covered. I got paired with the Midnight Lux mattress because I like a medium firm feel and I sleep on my side. So if you're looking for a mattress, you take the quiz, you order the mattress that you're matched to, and you could add on sheets and pillows or whatever else you need for your bed. And then the mattress comes right to your door within 10 business days. And you don't even have to go to a mattress store ever again. Helix is awesome, but... 
You don't need to take our word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Just go to helixsleep.com slash majority54, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash majority54. I thought that, yeah, and this is in the middle, this is where Trump, I think, had his best couple of, like, there were a few things in a row where Trump didn't do enough, but where he 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 did a couple of things that reminded you that he's, he can be wily when he needs to, and Grace, so I agree that there, when I heard him say the politician thing, I winced a little bit, and then I kind of, I kind of immediately reset myself knowing that he, it's not going to, like, like you said, there's not, the ceiling is not as high. Um, on those kinds of attacks, but I thought it was like what both of you have said, which is, it was definitely, in my opinion, the best response he had to that, and definitely on brand to a certain kind of brand that he wants to have. Um, I thought there were certain things where he was like, "You're not actually from Scranton," and he does these sort of like little digs here and there that, if not responded to, just throw you off your game. And I think Biden was a little off his game for a few answers in a row when Trump was doing all these things, and then became angry Biden at a certain point, which I actually kind of liked in that very limited context. Uh, Adrenaline is, is good for his debating, for his debating style. I agree with you. I'm better when I'm pissed and he is too. I don't know if he was better. I don't know if he was better, but I will say that I thought he, he had a well-timed moment of being angry because he was talking about people losing their health care. You know, like he was talking about real things and he was clearly upset about the about it and like that i thought landed really well where it's like he wasn't getting upset about you know his record on some legislation piece that no one could keep track of he was angry on behalf of americans and like we have talked about being like the avatar for the audience and like i do think that to show that passion on such a down-home issue i do think worked i did get nervous i was like biden come on take some deep breaths, have a sip of water, you know, <laughs> to do something to lower the blood pressure. And I do think that he kind of regained his composure. Um, but I I thought that it was a convenient timing for him to be a little more riled up. You make a good point. He, he got mad about the right things. Because what Trump does that's so frustrating is he stands up there and he, he rapid fire makes things up. And he rapid fire makes things up about your character and your kids and all sorts of stuff. And it takes a lot of discipline to not be like, now look here, asshole, you know? Um, and he didn't do that. He didn't do that. In fact, what he did is he just, it's not about my family, you know, it's about yours. But then on healthcare and then on immigration, he got mad. But your your point is a good one. He was mad on behalf of other people. And, and that's really important, which, so I wrote down at nine o'clock, I wrote down that the first hour, I just, the theme to me was unify, unify, unify. And I think that's a win. And I think that's what we should take from it is like, look, I mean, people, if people are coming at you and even if they're scoring points on you on, on issues here and there, cause like they're talking about something you don't know much about. I think it's just, look, I just want to see this country come back together. And something that I, I hear a lot of, um, especially in doing research for winning Wisconsin, talking to 
Republican voters or um, members of the Republican Party there, they use the term socialism all the time to describe what's at stake here. And I loved how Biden countered that, where he, you know, was being essentially cast as Bernie Sanders. And he said, look, I'm here because I disagreed with them. I won because I disagreed with them. And I was like, if a voter is tuning in for the first time and hears that, like, that's a really simple sentence. That makes perfect sense. And you don't have to really know anything else other than, oh, you're different because you disagreed. And I know what he stands for, the socialist. And so I thought that he drew that contrast better than I've ever seen him do it before without having to get into like, you know, your pre-existing conditions will be covered over parts A, B, and C of my plan. You know, it was so colloquial. What's also interesting to me about that is he's used that now in both debates, which says to me that they've looked at their numbers and they've made a calculation and decided that they, as I don't remember what how Murphy put it two episodes ago, but like torture the base, that's what, you know, like, which I'm not saying that's what he's doing, but they have made the conclusion that this is a statement we can make and our, and, and the people on our side understand what we're saying, which is, is encouraging. Well, moving on to the last third of the debate, I thought there were some really interesting, inconsequential things that happened in the last third of this debate. Uh, one is that Trump, I think in some effective ways kept pushing Biden on the fact that he'd been in politics for a while and had been president. Now, uh, the problem for Trump is that he never gives enough real estate to any of these attacks. This is fairly new uh, and not uh, and wasn't deployed enough throughout the course of this campaign in a way that I think is going to stick. But as I was watching, I was like, man, if they did more of this, uh, he still wouldn't win. But it would he'd be in a much better position. Well, it's interesting to me because they've done it in a way that's strange to me. Because so he's making the argument, look, he's been doing this for forty-seven years. He had eight years. Why hasn't he done it? But by doing that, you're implicitly saying we agree. We would have done the same things, and 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 so it does leave now. Biden didn't choose to respond to it, which is probably wise. But it leaves you a little bit open to the idea of like which is what Biden did. He just said, well, look, I had a Republican Congress, which was a very interesting choice that he made. He didn't choose to explain beyond that. He just said, I feel like that was kind of him being like, look, I'm feeling pretty confident. I'm just going to go and flat out tell people right now, like, don't give me a Republican Congress because both of us up here seem to agree that this I stuff needs like to that. get done. I kind of like that. That's helpful to anybody who's paying attention to that line. Yeah. I, I do wish, though, that he'd tied it back to earlier when he was talking about COVID relief and... Trump immediately was like, well, Nancy Pelosi will give me a deal. She won't cooperate. I can't do anything without her. And so it's like, why couldn't I just wanted Biden at the end there to be like, just like you, I had, you know, Mitch McConnell to deal with and couldn't get this through. So I, I feel like there was a moment to kind of like almost say like, Trump, you understand, <laughs> you know, you get this. And that was a little bit lost for me. But the problem with that is, is that then you're, uh, you're conceding the idea that the Democratic Congress has in any way been blocking progress when well, it has interesting. Because that's his true. point from earlier in the debate was they passed it over the summer, man. Like this is, they've already done it. Um, so I, I don't want to skip over this. Trump start, he was the one who used the term cages, first of all, which I, which I found to be an odd choice because it really uh, betrayed the fact that he has no problem with them being cages, right? Um, well, he only so he cares about who made them. This is like exactly. the kind of not sociopath who fills them. that he is. Like he, yeah, it's it's not who makes them apparent. Or it's not who who fills them. It's apparently who made them in the first place. Um, and 
and I thought Biden showed a lot of discipline there. But I, when he said the kids are so well taken care of, I gasped. Like, like not even like as a oh what a mistake. Like a, I was just fucking horrified. Like listeners, I'm sorry. This is I understand an audio medium, um, but uh, I just want you to know that I'm waving my arms around in agreement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I have written in all caps. Horrifying, horrifying. Like, yeah. I thought that moment was very challenging to listen to as I'm sure many, many people did. Yeah. I mean, like we were sitting there, Diana and I with our infant. And, I mean, it was really upsetting. And and then, you know, Biden, that's when Biden really got mad. And, and he was like, and he said, you know, he had a line to the effect of, well, you know, there's 535 kids out there whose parents you, you can't seem to find. And then Trump just says good. And, and like, I don't know if Trump meant like good, we're moving on or whatever, but the whole time it really felt like he's never reconsidered the idea that it is a good policy to separate these people. It was just like, it was just really upsetting. This is where me. I think like the, the forest matters. Uh, and I think like a lot of people watching these things and, and I, I certainly have fallen into this in, in past debates. Uh, I think especially the first one, um, is that what was really important here is what's the impression you're left of each of these people as human beings uh, and as leaders after this debate. And I think it is impossible to come away from this thinking, like if you're, if you're swayable at all, that Biden is other, anything other than a decent guy um, who is going to restore a sense of normal in this country uh, and, and actually deeply cares about people. Like that, that to me was just so clear in everything he did. And I think Trump was the same old narcissist he was. He was just a little bit more controlled about it. Uh, and there was, there was a moment of, of what I thought was a little bit of rope-a-dope here, which was um, Biden, whether intentionally un, un, unintentionally inserted this Lincoln thing. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Trump just could not help himself. Um, and, and Biden, this is where Biden's like very surgical insertions of either his his own body language and and the things he was he was just doing uh, in his screen or words was was just disarming Trump. And he he said, I think, oh God, and he was smiling. Uh, and this yeah. is the avatar point. Like, I just think it was a. I think people are are found a comfort level with Biden tonight uh, that they hadn't found before. We're like, oh, this guy. I actually kind of want to see this guy as president. I actually think that people, I think people could get that impression tonight in seeing him. I thought the Lincoln thing was really interesting because Biden was just, it was just a throwaway thing. He was just like, you know, Abe Lincoln over here. And, and then I think Trump thought, I think Trump may have forgotten that he had just said the thing about Lincoln. hundred well, percent he had forgotten. And I think he was like, oh, I he caught so Biden. Many <laughs> I, yeah, I think he was like, I'm going to make it seem like he thinks I'm Abe Lincoln. I'm not sure what the hell he was doing there, but, uh, and then, and then it did work well. Cause then Biden found himself try explaining like, no man, you just said this thing about Lincoln. And, uh, I mean, anyway, that was just a really strange moment. Uh, but I, I did think it was at least, it was like an entertaining, finally, like an entertaining, purely entertaining moment with low stakes. Uh, well, it just so showed that Biden was loose, I thought, in a way that we haven't seen him in debates. Like we often, he feels like he's working really hard to get out what he hopes he can say and he's watching the clock and he, you know, he feels like the the fluidity between his, his brain and his mouth and the time is all a little bit crunched. And 
And, you know, he always emotes really well. I think that that's Joe Biden's greatest strength. And he, I'm, you know, they talk about that all the time on the campaign, but sometimes he doesn't express himself with words in the most succinct way. And to see him then, you know, flipping witticisms back at Trump and having to explain them back to him, I thought was clearly showed that we saw a very different Joe Biden tonight. I, uh, the last issue area that I just wanted to mention, um, you know, climate change ended up being exactly what we expected it to be. I mean, it was just one guy shilling, for, you know, one guy shilling for industry and the other guy being like, no, actually I have a plan to make this work for industry and for the planet. So I just think that was, um, what we would expect. Uh, I, although I, I thought that the part where Biden explained the fence line thing was, it was so late in the debate. I, it was amazing. It, it was it, like, it, it was West wingish, you know? No, no. Somebody it, it, said that on my roof yeah. where we were watching it. Somebody turned and was like, I don't know how we went from the debate we had last time, not Kamala, but the, the debate, yeah. the, the Biden Trump one too, they said to now a West wing debate. That's what the person at that, at that very moment. That's well, hilarious. Yeah, Cause like that. he's talking about, yeah. So that's why we had uh mud or whatever it was. That's why we had that in our, in our windshield. I didn't, I mean, I'll be honest, I didn't know what, and I think Trump didn't either. I had no idea what the moderator was talking about. And then the fact that Biden was just like, yeah, I know exactly what this is. And let me explain it to both of you and everyone at home who's wondering as well, was I thought really strong. But the other issue area um, was race, and they spent a long time on it. And I just basically think that the entire, that every second that they're talking about race, Trump is losing because he's got nobody to gain uh, who's not white. He's got a few people to gain if he proves that he's not super racist, like um, among white suburbanites. But I just think he handled it so poorly and he was so angry. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think the conversation on immigration helped that. No. If yeah, anything, that looked a I, little bit racist. Yeah, a little bit. And I think that that dug him such a hole going into the race conversation that it and also, you know, Biden's record on race isn't fabulous either. So it's kind of this like mudslinging fest on like who said more worse things in the 90s and to early 2000s that I think a lot of voters are fatigued by. I might just be talking for myself, but I well, find that unproductive and challenging. I thought Biden did a very good job, as he has throughout the campaign, of acknowledging things that he didn't do well in the past and something that is a huge weakness for Trump, obviously. Um, and so every time they'd come at him with that, he'd be like, yeah, you know, we did that. That was a mistake. And I think that you learn a lot of points with people when you do that, when you, when you say, you know, I, I got that wrong and I have learned. I think, I think that matters. I think so too. And I do appreciate that Biden does speak to systemic racism and he did try to personalize it at the top, talking about how, he doesn't have to tell his kids how to behave if the cop pulls them over. You know, that's not a conversation he's ever had to have. And he's aware of that difference, I think, is what we should hope our politicians should be saying and thinking about and reflecting on. So I, I do think that he had great moments in it, whereas I I found Trump's uh, approach to that section confusing. Yeah. And one more thing on the, the chemical piece, like the chemical plants, uh, what I found really inspiring about that moment is that that was definitely not a debate prep moment. Right. Uh, yeah. So this showed that something happened with Biden uh, in the lead up to this debate and on that stage that honestly, like, it got me emotional because in every one of you know, this is you know, we're on a journey together as a country, and you know, I, you know, Axe talked uh, yesterday about uh, 
the what he saw after the women's march determination right and i mentioned i was hard on biden after the first debate and i and i was talking about how we are the ones we've been waiting for and we all have to kind of pick this up and uh and you know, if you're cynical, you'd think that I, I almost meant like this is like a weekend at Bernie's campaign where we're all just dragging him across the finish line. But what I saw uh, in that answer was a he just he met the moment, you know, he met the moment in this debate with who he is as a human. And as somebody who grew up in in, in uh, Staten Island and, and my family's from this town called Travis, which is on top of the largest garbage dump uh, the world has ever had. Uh, downstream from chemical plants in New Jersey, uh, that resonated with me. And it reminded me of, of when Max Rose was running for Congress. I was very skeptical of Max when he first ran. And it was only when he visited this little enclave of Staten Island that's been forgotten and spoke in detail about the challenges that that little corner of Staten Island, Travis, has, which is where our family's from, um, and the way he talked about it, that I was like, this guy's special. Uh, and that's what I saw from Biden tonight was that an unprepared answer was the best answer of the night, which is really awesome. 100%. And what it demonstrates about Joe Biden is that he gives a shit enough to know about the things that aren't on the test because he cares about doing the job. And so I'll tell a quick Biden story. Um, we were campaigning in Missouri once and we were on our way to a big rally that he was doing with me. And uh, we're in the back of like his limo. And he just goes on this very Joe Biden-ish like 10-minute thing about his what is now his big plan his big education plan which i think is great but at the time it was just this idea he was cooking up about if we do this thing with i can't remember if it's carried interest or i can't remember his funding mechanism but he was explaining it to me and he's like this is going to get huh oh, yeah he's going to get everybody two years of community college right and he's and he's really really like like really passionately explaining it to me and then at the end of it, he's like, so I'm going to talk about this on stage at this rally. And I'm like, okay. He goes, I need you to be for it. And I was like, oh, okay. I, I think, I think I probably can. And I was like, do you mind if we just call my campaign manager and make sure it doesn't conflict with anything else I've said? And he goes, and he looks at me and he goes, come on, man, what are you a Republican? And, uh, and I was like, well, no, no, Mr. Vice President, I'm sure I'm, I'm probably for it. I, I just, you know, and he just took me by surprise. But the point was like, you know, he was there to campaign, but he was also there to advance things he cared about that the voter that, you know, and he went on a long thing about it. And frankly, like the crowd at times got a little bored. But the point was, like, he cared about it. And and so he while going back while we're in the limo in the back, he's like, all right, call your campaign manager. So I call Abe and I'm like, Abe, um, I, I think, you know, the vice president really wants me to endorse this policy. Not Abe Lincoln, I just, to be clear, right? You're, no, 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 Abe Rakov. And I was like, uh, I'm just going to put him on. And he and he just takes the phone. He's like, Abe, look, here's the deal. And of course, Abe is you know, smarter about it than me. And he goes, yeah, of course. Yeah, we'll be for that. And he's like, all right. So I went out on stage and I was like, I'm for that. But my point is like, he just, he taught me about this thing. He convinced me of this thing. And it wasn't like some big political winner. He just really wanted the country to do this because it was important. And like, I would rather have that guy as president than almost anybody, you know, just somebody who's like, I care about things because I'm going to be in charge. I don't have a Joe Biden story. <laughs> um, I'm a little bit, uh, I've circled in less fabulous groups than you two. You don't have a Joe Biden story so, yet. Yet, exactly. There we go. Um, but I can say a moment that I had during the debate was earlier, I spoke about how Trump pointing out that, you know, oh, Biden's just a politician. That's his classic politician 
you know, kitchen table, blah, blah. Because he doesn't want to talk about the issues. He just wants to, you know, use this rhetorical pivot. And part of me was like, okay, yeah, that's Trump's move there. That makes sense for him. And then I was like, but if I was someone who had recently dealt with any of those very common, reasonable issues that are still vexing, I would have felt really dismissed by Trump in that moment of being like, well, yeah, maybe he's being a politician, but like, I am having that conversation with my partner or with my child. Like, I am making those really hard decisions. And he said it again about healthcare. He's like, those of you who are lying awake wondering when you, if you're going to, if you get sick, what happens? Like, I've gone periods of time without healthcare and have not enjoyed that. <laughs> That's stressful. So I, I see it even in those moments where he's able to think about the intimate moments of someone's day-to-day -day life where politics intersects, but yet they don't hold all the cards to change it. And that he's thinking about those moments and how he can make it better for those people. And I think that that radiated through this debate all the way. Yeah. And let's, let's do some closing thoughts then. And, you know, building off of that, like that point about if you are the person he was talking about, about having a seat that's empty at the table, what do you think? You know? And I thought about uh, Mr. Lenti on Staten Island, the person who taught me to drive, who died of COVID. And uh, we lost our soccer coach to, at my high school as well. And, uh, you know, people can cynically say, you know, Mr. Lenti, he was in a nursing home, he was gonna go. But, you know, your days are all you have. And, you know, he lost critical days to see his family, you know, and I don't, I don't know uh, what he missed, you know, was it a relative's fifth birthday party? You know, uh, was it another conversation with somebody uh, that he didn't get to have, you know, I saw my grandfather, uh, who passed away before COVID, um, and we had some conversations that we put off until the very last minute. And, uh, and so I think this is, this election, I think was crystallized tonight. And I think when some of Biden's closing remarks, or at some point very close to the end, he said the character of his country is on the ballot. Uh, and I think it was, we got the debate that I think we needed in, 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 in terms of just crystallizing that. I don't think we needed it to win. But I think a lot of us just needed to hear it to remind us, like, Jason, why we even know each other? We, we know each other because we both jumped back into the arena very quickly. Uh, you had already been in, been in and I was out of it for a while um, because we felt that was true. The character of the country was on the ballot. And it was just felt really good to be reminded of that by the, the person that we're all rallying behind in the end here. So that was my takeaway. My, my final takeaway was that Biden showed up as if he'd already won in a really great way. Like he commanded the stage as if he was already the president. And I think that that is what we were all feeling from him was this kind of, th that determination you talked about, Ravi, um, and a kind of centeredness and his control over his emotions, um, I thought was pretty spectacular to see. And I think to me, what was crystallized in those closing remarks was that Trump didn't answer the question. You know, Kristen asked, what would you say to those who didn't vote for you? And I, Trump, right, his answer was about Biden. It was about, I think, his tax plan. Like, it had nothing to do with what Trump would say to people who hadn't voted for him. And then, and you saw Biden while Trump was talking, just 
put his pen away, put his watch back on, and just look straight in the camera and say, look, I'm going to be the president for everybody. Like, we are a great country with great endless opportunity and possibility, and we're going to get there. Like, I'm going to help us get there. And that's what we're doing here. And to me, that was just pretty striking to have the final question only answered by one candidate, I think was pretty, pretty clear. So my takeaway is that I'm I'm getting pretty close to feeling confident about this thing <laughs> and uh whoa and, jason <laughs> yeah <laughs> and and i feel like now the argument that people need to focus on with their friends and relatives is it seems that in that debate both of them said that this stuff really has to get done one of them has bothered to you know have a plan to do it i would like to not have to wait any longer and that's why we need a Democratic Senate and a Democratic House. To me, that's like, this is the pivot point in this campaign where you just really just dial in on that. Thank you, Grace, for doing this and being on the air with us instead of just leading us through. We appreciate it. It was great. Thank you so much. If y'all enjoyed Grace, and I know you did, you can find her at Grace Lynch 8 She's at Grace Lynch 8 on Twitter. She has an Instagram, but, you know, it's not for the commons. It's just not. It's, it's the premium stuff, and you just can't have it. She's got that thing locked. All right, everybody. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.